Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jerry J. Saxton. I'm here with Nick Houseman. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing. We're doing. It's a Monday. Let's. Uh, we got to talk about some stuff. I think we got. We got just a, a barrel of laughs today. Uh, we've got another revelation in the uh, Catholic Church: uh, chronic abuse scandals. We've got the Republicans wanting to bomb Mexico. We've got billionaire donors with gardens full of dictator statues and Nazi memorabilia. I mean, for for me, that's a, that's a that's a fun day, right? Oh, it's uh, it's just a murderer's row of uh, of things that we all want to talk about. I'm sure. So yeah, emphasis on murderers. That's uh, yeah. that's exactly right. But uh, we have to start today with the uh, the the uh, first story here uh, in Texas. U.S. District Judge Matthew Kazmarek, an anti-abortion Trump-appointed judge, has overruled a 23-year approval of a drug that is essential in the medical abortion. Uh, he says, quote, the court does not second guess FDA's decisions making lightly, but in this case, the FDA acquiesced on its legitimate safety concerns based on plainly unsound reasoning. Uh, there's a whole lot to unpack here, uh, but that's uh, I know the word unprecedented gets thrown around a lot lately, Nick, but uh, this attack on women's bodily autonomy is just picking up steam. I mean, you know, listen, it's one thing to have like whatever kind of opposition, if it's rooted in religion or whatever, opposition to abortion. Even as a judge, I suppose, you, you, people have those thoughts and are also rated, you know, uh, competent by the, by the Bar Association. But it's another one and then kind of base your whole decision on like lies about the efficacy of a drug. And that's what's so weird about this thing. And uh, the bigger picture then will, will become what's going to become of the FDA, uh, which should have been a body that represented the government in a way that had the best interest of, the, of our citizens at heart and, and wasn't necessarily influenced by, uh, you know, what they're trying to argue. And uh, that's if that this is a bigger picture that we have to really worry about as well. Now, listen, <clears throat> I got to be honest, we, we, we all know that one of uh, my, my things was I have to talk about uh, we shouldn't trust institutions, you know, even when we're being told that we should. Listen, the FDA has been weird for a very, very long time. There are many reasons to criticize the FDA and their decisions. This is not one of them. <laughs> this is not one of the situations where that needs to happen. This is literally, and, and you and I both are old enough to remember whenever Republicans talked about activist judges, right? People who were legislating from the bench. That's all that this is. And going after a drug approval based on political bounds, it's one of those moments where all of a sudden you start to realize that a lot of those guardrails that we've all thought were there or, you know, people acting on honor, that those things are just gone at this point. And because the Republican Party has so um, perverted the judicial system, stuff like this is going to continue to happen. Now, if we take a look at this, um, and, and just to update people on the story, there are now conflicting judge rulings. It's up in the air whether or not this this pill is actually going to be taken off the market and uh, effectively taken away from uh, women making choices about their own body. We need to also point out, Nick, that this was based on a lawsuit from a group calling themselves Alliance Defending Freedom. And Nick, I'm going to go through the uh, the funders here. And this, by the way, is the same group that was trying to outlaw uh, uh, not just gay marriage, but uh, you know, trying to resurrect sodomy laws. They're funded by, I don't know, the DeVosses, the Cokes, the Bradleys. 
This was another one of those triangulation schemes where as soon as Roe v. Wade went down, they started going after the ability for these these pills to be out there. I mean, this is coordination. It's corruption. And it's part of the Republican Party's war on women that has uh, continued now for decades. Oh, if you his background, it's funny because Trump was nominating a whole uh, bunch of judges while he was in uh, the White House that were not um rated uh competent uh and, and should not have been up as judges right yeah. this guy actually was uh, but he you know having not had any judge um uh, experience before this i mean this guy was involved in some of the most severely right religious right uh you know uh, uh, uh whatever groups that you can imagine yeah. and what we call this is you know forum shopping what they did to get this case in front of him in texas was knowing that the way that Texas works in the geography of the land, they if they bring the case in this district, they know it's going to be him versus other areas of the country where it is, it's, it's a, you don't know who's going to be the, the judge. So you know what you get from that is that uh, they created this case yep. because they know they're going to get the outcome they want, which kind of, call me crazy, Jared, but I don't think that that's really the intent of our judicial system. Is that, am I, am I off the rails there or maybe I'm crazy? No, some would even call it a conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, like, this is the type of shit. And, and you know, we're going to talk more about Harlan Crow here in a little bit, the billionaire guy who has just paid for, you know, Clarence Thomas to run around the country. This is the kind of thing that happens when you're on a super yacht. You know what I mean? Or whenever you're, you're out and about in Indonesia or checking out the Komodo dragons. Like, this is about coordinating a very specific attack. And watching what has happened here, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific how much this has not just perverted a system that was already perverted, but also to go ahead and see how the tide is turning on a lot of this. You know, these pills, Nick, are, are, they're, they're outlawed in certain places. We even see Walgreens, and we've heard about this for the past couple of months, saying they're not going to carry it even in some states where it's legal because they're caving under the pressure for this. This is, again, in a way that a lot of the Republicans are trying to carry out. There is a hard press against bodily autonomy for women, right, in in terms of overturning Roe v. Wade, in terms of passing these restrictions or outright bans. And then there are the soft ones that are happening on the other side. And we're going to look up, unless we take this seriously, we're going to look up and a woman's right to her entire body is going to be taken away in its entirety. Like, it is absolutely a conspiracy and it is absolutely a planned attack at, at, at trying to go after these people. Exactly. Um, and it's, uh, it's just troubling. It's troubling because uh, the, the way they'll end up twisting these, um, these court cases to whatever ends they want. I mean, it is legislating from the bench. And we remember in, in the you know, early 2000s, how the right was really railing against this because they felt like, uh, you know, the, the, yep. the, um, liberal judges were doing the same exact thing which very well they're probably from their point of view is a probably a legitimate uh take sure. on what was going on um i i just feel like um the only tenable way this is going to work legally for abortion is either or right it, it feels like either it needs to be legal across the entire united states or it can't be legal anywhere. That's what's so scary about this. It doesn't seem like it's tenable to have it the way they think that it would happen with the states getting deciding because of this kind of stuff. And then what you mentioned is the Washington judge suddenly rules the exact opposite way. Now we're in an intractable mess that goes to the United to the Supreme Court, which Lordy uh, is going to be a real problem if they get to decide this one. You're exactly right. I mean, a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
I, I think somebody said that somewhere along the way. And it's almost as if this thing, going back to 1972, was settled law. It was a settled issue. On top of that, by the way, uh, depending upon what poll you're looking at, 75 to 85 percent of Americans agree that a woman should have the right over her own bodily autonomy. Like this is not something that was actually up for debate. It is a power grab. And I have to tell you, and I know that this isn't going to be shocking for people to hear me say it. I think it is just absolute weak tea to hear from the the president of the United States and his administration that they're very concerned about this and that they really wish that this wasn't happening. And this is another attack. You're exactly right, Nick. This needs to be codified into law. This needs to be done. There needs to be a push for it. And we need to move past this bullshit because this is just going to continue to get worse until somebody takes a stand and actually make sure that this uh, this this bullshit actually gets stopped in its tracks. But, but, but that doesn't settle it, because even if you pass a law, you get control, right, the Supreme Court can then override right. it. That's what's so troubling about this at any time. Now, 20 years, 50 years from now, it doesn't really necessarily matter. Uh, and that's the genius of the evil genius of Mitch McConnell, knowing that they didn't have to necessarily have control right. over all the houses because they could just legislate from the Supreme Court, which is what they are now going to be able to do for many, many years, uh, you know, unless somehow Clarence Thomas uh, is forced to resign. Well, first of all, Clarence Thomas should be impeached. There should be a push against that. Second of all, by the way, could we find out uh, how Brett Kavanaugh suddenly paid off all of his debts? And uh, can, can we get into that? Or also, I don't know, now that you're in charge of the government, can you use the Department of Justice to go back and find out if the man perjured himself because there wasn't an actual investigation? Or I don't know, go around the country. And by the way, since we're on the subject, Joe Biden has now told MSNBC he's going to run for a second term. Maybe while you're out campaigning for that second term, maybe you start talking about packing the court or expanding the court. Maybe you start talking about bringing Puerto Rico in or Washington, D.C. as a state. Maybe you start actually playing hardball instead of talking all the time about how concerned you are. Show me how concerned you are. Actually put something on the line. Oh, that would be too scary for someone like Joe Biden. Too scary. Yeah, he because he can't risk it. They don't want to look at anything more than just an extremely moderate, you know, center candidate. And that's why you can't. And, and by mm-hmm. the way, like what we've been arguing this whole time is that he would be able to garner as much, if not more support by having those positions than this whatever fear he thinks he has of this random, you know, swing voter that might not vote for him because of that. I think that's what's ridiculous. Can we go back for one second before I forget, uh, you know, what they're trying to, to cast aspersions about, um, uh, let's see, uh, mifeprestone, mifepristone, I had it, I think is how you say it, uh, is that it's not safe. And it's like, I, I looked it up and, okay, again, according to the FDA, and, and this is what they'll say, the FDA is simply lying. But, you know, for the longest time, we've had to rely on them. And they have scientists who do this, who, who would, their careers would be ended if they're going to misuse data. But the bottom line is what they report is that there are five deaths per per million users of mifepristone, mifepristone. In comparison, a 2001 study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that there were about 20 deaths per million users of penicillin. So it's like, what are we doing here? This is not something that's dangerous. And then they've used this for so long. And then we have the data now. It's been for 20 some years. They've, they've been able to use this, this combination of drugs through this. Um, I think it's probably more unsettling to them because it does cast into doubt the notion of like, the fetus versus a bunch of cells uh, that aren't viable, that become, you know, that, that, uh, that 
become part of this procedure. And it, it, it might feel like to these religious people that there's this is some sort of weird wiggle room that, that doesn't apply to what their values are. And they have to somehow just put a stop to it so they can't, it, it won't be on their conscience. Well, and by the way, we'll get to those religious people here in just a second. But I also want to point out part of this is an aggressive defense against the idea that these abortion bans are going to get worked around by these pills being sent out to people. That's one of the deals here is the idea that, you know, you might you may be able to go after people who are carrying out surgical procedures. But if you can take out one of the pills or both of the pills, I'm sure they're probably looking at both of them. Um, that you might be able to go ahead and cut that out without some sort of an interstate act, you know, going back to the Comstock Act, which is basically what they're going to try and revive in which they're going to go through people's mail. And by the way, go ahead and give this historical context. That stuff that was based in the idea that the white race was going to be replaced by minorities, Nick. I mean, I, I know that's shocking to hear, but that's exactly what all that has been about for a very, very long time. But no, they're, they're trying to wipe that out before they think it's going to be an assault on abortion bans in some of these red states. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, do we want to get into the head of the judge for a minute again? Because I, I just did a deep dive and it was kind of just cur- I'm always curious because, again, it's it's one thing to, OK, say I never gonna get an abortion. I'm never my wife's never gonna get an abortion or whatever. Uh, and it's another thing to then trying to dictate someone else's autonomy or their own body, right? Correct. That's really where it gets hard. And this has been reported. It's like, first of all, he had a, a, a sister who was 17 who got pregnant and who had it adopted. And that shaped his his thinking about why he'd never want any, anybody, I guess, to get an abortion. And then they had a stillborn kid. His wife and him had a stillborn kid, uh, you know, uh, that this tragedy happened to them and what the reporting is is that that is what solidified his complete and utter you know uh stance on anti-abortion and when you see his uh the language he uses in this decision like he doesn't use the word fetus he uses you know unborn human and he uses all the all the flash words that the anti-abortion people use and he's doing this on purpose right jared i mean you're not just willy-nilly adding random vocabulary into a decision he's signaling this and um, I just find it, you know, very, very bizarre that, you know, a, a really unfortunate uh, situation happened to them. It had nothing to do with abortion, somehow solidifies anti-abortion in his mind. I mean, that's how intractable these positions can be in one mind. It's stories. It's the story of who you tell yourself that you are. And that goes back to the ideology that I'm always talking about. He has told himself a story about him, his sister, his family, his wife, whatever it is. And now, as a result, it is how he goes ahead and makes sense of how he's taking away other people's rights. Like, And, and that's whatever it is that helps you sleep at night. That's what it is. By the way, speaking of sleepless nights, Nick, we got to talk about this disturbing story out of uh, Baltimore. Maryland Attorney General Anthony Brown uh, released a a 400-plus page report revealing that over the past 60 years that at least 600 children um, had been abused by members of the Catholic Church and that the church itself, surprise, surprise, had been engaged in constant cover-ups. Nick, can we hear from uh, Attorney General Anthony Brown? We learned is that the incontrovertible history uncovered by this investigation is one of pervasive, pernicious, and persistent abuse by priests and other archdiocese personnel. It's also a history of repeated cover-up of that abuse 
by the Catholic Church hierarchy. That is um, terrible. <clears throat> and if you look at this report, um, I spent some time pouring over it. At least 156 members of, of the uh, Baltimore Archdiocese uh, carried out this abuse. Um, one of them, a priest named Frederick Date, uh, apparently abused 26 boys with the knowledge of the Catholic Church who uh, counseled him continually on how to avoid the consequences of his actions, to cover the thing up, how to manipulate uh, lawyers and investigations. Um, Nick, I have more to say about this, but uh, I, I have to imagine that you're joining me in sheer horror here. I mean, it, it just kind of makes me wonder because, you know, we're talking about the solution. What would the solution be? It, it, I don't understand how the Catholic Church is kind of like it's still in business. And I use that term in business because that's sort of what they are anyway, with the way they uh, are able to how rich they are, I guess, is the point. Um, and it is it, it's so frustrating because it's a joke, right? This was a joke for a long time. Oh, the cat priests, whatever. And people would you know joke about it despite how the, the horrors of what it really stood for. But I think the reason why it was used as a punchline for a long time was that we didn't really know. It was like maybe a little bit here or there on the outskirts or something that this is systemic. This is not just Baltimore. This is not just Boston. This is a, across the entire world. And that's what's so hor horrifying about this thing. So I, I don't see how the Catholic Church should be allowed to be in existence at this point. Well, there's a couple of things uh, to, to jump off on here. One, um, I want to say that any of our listeners who are Catholic, this has nothing to do with you. This this isn't about people who, who hold this faith or this religion uh, within themselves. We're talking about an institution of power. And if you take a look, and, and one of the things I found writing the Midnight Kingdom was just how many abuses have been carried out by these institutions of power, right? And, and, and I mean, not just abuse, but I'm talking about torture. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about genocide. And eventually what happens, and, and I want to be very, very clear here, because I think this is a serious subject and I feel pretty seriously about it. I want to say something which I haven't said um, on a show and I haven't talked about in, in discussing these things. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, and I know a lot of people who are, and I know that there are people left and right who have dealt with this their entire lives, and these abuses have been covered up as a matter of power, right? This has been done in order to protect people who are putting the fates of other people uh, to the side to ensure that they can continue to keep money and influence and affluence. And meanwhile, I'll tell you what, Nick, this is what pisses me off the most. QAnon, Pizzagate, the Republican Party, whatever it is that they're pushing when it comes to groomers or the idea that children are being taken and sold or all of this, there's real abuse happening in this country. And it's happening within the halls of power. It's happening in these churches. It's also happening in homes. You know what I mean? Like it's happening with families. We are so wrapped up in talking about this bullshit that what we have missed is the actual epidemic that no one wants to discuss, which is that we have an epidemic of child abuse in this country that we don't want to deal with outside of talking about the mythology of it. And you're absolutely right. These people, first of all, so many of them are dead and can't be prosecuted. Um, anybody who's still alive needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And after that, this archdiocese, it needs to be handed over at least to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't take a report 
Like this needs a reckoning on a massive, massive scale. And, and, and it's just head scratching that it's allowed, been allowed to get to this point. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you brought up um, the cover up part of it because that doesn't always get as much uh, focus either because right. it's interesting to kind of pull apart exactly why they felt the need to cover this up because in theory, there could have been ways they, they could have been transparent and they could have come off as in a way that look, we were putting an end to this and we were on top of it and, you know, all those different things. We want to help the people, the victims, all these different things. But they don't, right? They, they need to cover it up. And so it's interesting in terms of why, because a lot of times we just go, well, it's a power or whatever. I mean, it, it has to be, A, that they want to stay out of prison themselves, right? The people right. above them who are, who are involved, they might feel like there might be some, um, you know, uh, exposure, that they have exposure as well. Yeah. Uh, but like, I would like to maybe fill that in a little bit and figure out exactly what the motivation is to, to bury this. What are, what are they uh, so afraid of? Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is I think the idea within something all encompassing an ideology like Christianity or Catholicism, the idea that anybody within it can do something awful, that there can be abuse, that there can be some sort of a breach of trust or ethics or morality. That idea really isn't compatible with the idea that this church stands for all of those things, right? From the very, very beginning, once Christianity took over state power with the Roman Empire, the idea had to be that it was almost infallible, right? The idea that like anything from a pope in order or church doctrine, I mean, you know, yesterday, we're recording this on uh, Monday, April 10th. Yesterday was Easter, right? And you have like one meeting and argument and clash after another over when is Easter, right? Or um, what is the nature of Jesus Christ? Or how are you supposed to do this? Or you're supposed to do that. And in all cases, the decisions were not, you know, based on the faith. They were not from God. They were like temporal, secular decisions that were about power. It was about saying this group cannot be included in here. We have to section them off. So you always have to say, well, we don't like this. And this is obviously terrible, but we have to go ahead and make sure that we're not allowing that to be seen as part of us. So as a result, we would rather protect this person than to go ahead and admit there's a problem and deal with the issue that's at hand. And that has been there for centuries now. I mean, that mindset has just never gone away. You know, looking at it in other terms, like, okay, if there was a school that was having systemic abuse of their, of their uh, students, it gets closed down, right? They get shut down, they knock the, the building down, whatever, it's gone. And obviously, you know, that's probably what should happen to, the, let's say, individual parishes if they discover this thing. They, they should end up being shut down in that area or whatever. They shouldn't be allowed to continue going on, especially. And it's not the fact that it happened. It's the fact that they covered it up so, so uh, uh, egregiously, right? But I suppose if you were to do that, it, when it's revealed uh, how, uh, how often it's happened, that is a fear. Like, you would not have... A lot. I don't know what percentage is, but it's probably a very significant percentage of, of Catholic churches in total would probably not would cease to be functional. And that is obviously an, an affront to what, you know, to their to their empire, whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and their revenue. Uh, and so I, I can't imagine, you know, any other way besides, OK, the myth of like what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be infallible. But 
it just feels like um, they, they knew what would happen. And that would be that they would have to shut the, all these places down and they would not have any more presence left uh, to have influence. Well, and by the way, as long as we're being honest about this, there are churches, chapels, mosques, temples all around the world where this shit's happening. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, we, we have found out that this has been uh, endemic of the, of the Catholic Church, but this absolutely, I mean, my God, in the, in the Christian church, it's, it's, it's happened left and right. We've seen this. This is part of what happens in these institutions. And as long as they have an incentive to go ahead and protect themselves, you're going to see children and women and, and people taken advantage of left and right. I mean, that's just what's happening here. And until we start taking that seriously and not chasing these shadows on the wall with QAnon and Pizzagate and all that bullshit, like this is going to continue to happen. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it, it, it's it's almost like the gun thing, too, where you won't get people who will criticize uh, the Catholic Church either um, for fear of, again, it's it's got to be rooted in simply for fear of losing votes. That's it. There's no conscience here. There's no there's no morals. Um, and, you know, how, I don't I just still can't see how you could you could consider yourself dedicated to uh, the, the church and a higher power knowing that you are covering this up. You could say, oh, I didn't participate and do anything to, for abuse, you know, young kids. But but covering it up is is completely antithetical to what you're supposed to be about in your entire life and would, would require you then to then, you know, quit that and not be part of that as well. So it, it all doesn't make sense. And you're right. You've seen it across every uh, religion. It's not necessarily just Catholics. Um, you know, I mean, Scientology has a whole thing that, you know, is being uncovered about yeah. the use that they're doing. Um, you know, there, I, it's hard to imagine there is any religion out there that you could follow in a real uh, robust way that doesn't lead to some serious issues. Yeah. I, I'm, of course, people are going to probably get upset when you're saying that, but like, there's just a lot of evidence that shows you that there's a, there's a problem, certainly with the, the, the traditional structures of what we have now yeah. for religion. No, you, you couldn't be more right. And by the way, while we're on the subject of chasing shadows, man, Nick, there is weird chatter happening out there in the world that there is a ramping up within the Republican Party that one of their platforms and planks, and we've seen this happening over the past few months, but it's really, really picking up steam and we're starting to see the signals in the regular places. There is a new trend in the GOP uh, in, in terms of trying to push the idea that maybe we should declare war on Mexico or that we should declare war on Mexican drug cartels, maybe even invading the country in general um, in order to uh, cut out the supply of fentanyl that is coming in the United States. For those who don't know, we currently do have an epidemic of drug overdoses, about 70,000 coming from fentanyl a year. We'll get into those numbers in just a second. Uh, but we've already seen Donald Trump uh, as president and as a post-president was calling for strike options, uh, promising that he was going to take this stuff out. We also have Representative Dan Crenshaw, who we're going to hear from in a second, who introduced articles for the authorization of military force in Canada. Let's, uh, let's hear this, Nick. You know, I want to go to Dan Crenshaw right now, the Texas congressman, kind enough to join us. He has his own ideas and worries about what's happening at the border. Uh, this one might need to involve the U.S. military. Congressman, good to see you. Maybe explain what, what's got you very, very concerned. Well, uh, look, we recently introduced uh, AUMF, an authorized use of military force against the cartels and any other uh, organizations that traffic fentanyl specifically. So why now and why not, why not years ago? These Mexican drug cartels have been around for a while. 
The difference now is fentanyl. Uh, this is not a drug problem. This is not a war on drug problem. This is a poisoning problem. And they're killing about 80,000 Americans a year. And the Mexican government does very little to thwart this. Uh, and I think there should be bipartisan efforts in Congress to pass an authorized use of military force to, to deal with them. Uh, if anything, that simply gives our president more leverage when trying to get the Mexican government to do its job. And that, that's its job on, on thwarting immigration, which the cartels also control, and thwarting uh, fentanyl coming, coming north across our border and killing American citizens. You know, these people are a lot more like ISIS than they are the mafia. Uh, you recently saw a... Man, I'll tell you what, Nick, that sounds great. But it's weird that the Republican Party didn't care about hundreds of thousands of people dying of COVID. And by the way, if we're just going to start invading drug cartels, I don't know. How about we uh, go after the opioid production? You know, why don't we, why don't we go after uh, pharma? Like, you know, it just it, it's weird. I have thoughts on why this is happening and what it means. What, what are your initial reactions? Well, I mean, of course, we're talking about... Um you know, unilateral uh, attack on a, a, a neighboring a sovereign nation, you know, and it, to me, it's like, you know, OK, we want to. There's no question it's a problem. In fact, I, I remember someone was telling me, oh, fentanyl deaths are more than, uh, you know, whatever. It was. I was like I, I had said a couple weeks ago, there's no way it's that high. And it turns out, yes, it is. Fentanyl is a real is, is killing more people than than we all believe. We all think. Uh, so he's right. Like it is an issue we need to take care of. And I would love to be, have, have Superman fly in there and, and, you know, x-ray vision, whatever he does with his, what is it? Not x-ray vision. He's got the heat, heat vision, just like melt everything, whatever. It's, it, 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 and the fentanyl production right from the beginning. Um, you know, but it seems to me that if you're going to do this, you need to do this in cooperation with the Mexican government. That's just how it would need to be done somehow. Well, yeah, but then you wouldn't be the United States of America flexing its muscles. I mean, that's part of the issue here. I want to say, first of all, if you want to stop a drug trade, if you want to stop overdoses, why don't you make the quality of life better in the United States of America? Because I have to tell you, the reason why people get addicted to drugs is not just the chemicals at hand. It's also the fact that they're trying to handle some sort of personal trauma or some sort of personal state. That's how this stuff happens. There's a reason why the war on drugs doesn't work. And it was a joke from the very beginning. Also, if you don't want Mexico having to deal with drug cartels instead of just bombing or machine gunning them to death, maybe you should go ahead and make sure that, you know, people in the global south aren't having like destabilizing political situations and economic situations. That might help. I got to tell you, though, I got I, I got a weird feeling that the, there's a couple of reasons this is happening. One is because the Republican Party has been scapegoating Mexico and immigrants for years and years and years. They see this as a winning political issue. But also, Nick, there's something weird that happens whenever you have the beginnings of a new Cold War. Because um, you can't go to war with China because you're going to lob nuclear missiles at each other if you actually get into an actual conflict. You know what we learned during the first Cold War? We love us some proxy wars. We yeah. love to go into Vietnam. Man, we even love to go into Nicaragua. We love to go into Grenada. We love that shit. And you know what? It helps to have your, your military go in and show that they can kick a little bit of ass. Give them a little bit of something to do. This is another one of those situations where we have a bunch of military hardware and we have worsening military situations. They want to go ahead and kick the tires and light the fires. That's what this is about. It's not about actually taking care of fentanyl. It's going ahead and finding a reason to do what they want to do in the first place. 
Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, that makes a lot of sense as well because there's always the itchy trigger fingers. We're out of, uh, we're not in Afghanistan anymore. Where's, where's the next one? That's right. Yes. We need some more contracts to get, to get signed. Um, you know, the, the fentanyl thing in particular, and I, you know, you read these heartbreaking stories of these kids who are dying. And there's a really awful, and I will acknowledge that this is an awful take and it's cynical, but it's like what you end up hearing is that it's like, I want my, I wanted my kid to be able to do heroin in peace. You know, I want them to do opioids without the fear of having fentanyl. It's going to kill them, despite the fact that what they are doing with those drugs are going to kill them anyway, or would, would probably kill them. And that's another interesting, weird whole take on this thing that no one is really talking about either, which goes back to your point, which is we need to help people stop doing these kind of drugs in the in the beginning or get off of these kind of drugs in the beginning. So they're not uh, faced with that, with those kind of decisions. Um, and that's really the, the, the issue that nobody wants to do. Now, when you're talking about gun control, they will then go to say, we must have, you know, it's the crazy people who are getting it. We got to stop them from getting it. And that, that is where they seem to be like, okay, we need, I'm not even sure to the right, does the right connect, um, better, uh, mental health, um, support with that, or they just simply want to label some randos, uh, uh, crazy and they can't get guns. I can't, I, I'm now conflating a couple of things, but help me out here. Well, no, I mean, that's exactly how it works is in all of this, there is no consistent idea, right? There's no like consistency across it. The, whoever they don't agree with or whoever they want to marginalize, those people are unwell. And and by the way, like we've already seen it in right wing circles, you know, this idea that like transgender people are unwell or gay people are unwell. And as a result, they shouldn't have guns or they should be kept away from certain types of things. And no, it, and, and, and by the way, it's always weird, Nick, because it's like, wait, do drugs kill people or do people kill people? Right. Like it, it, it does not work in any way shape or form like that it's not consistent it's not real it's not serious and in this whole thing like drugs are always a scapegoat in all of this like they always have been and you know on one hand you know it's 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 funny we're you know talking about like what is legal what is not what you should invade what you shouldn't i mean for years and years and years you have this opioid epidemic where you know, it's killing people because people are in pain, because it gives people sort of a, a release or a warmth or an escape or something along those lines. There's no talk about mental health. There's no talk about investing in any of these things. And again, what the Republican Party offers is this. It's the illusion of taking care of a problem by taking care of an external problem. Right. If we can just go into Mexico and fight them off. And by the way, if we do go into Mexico and if we do carry out military operations, I guarantee you so much evidence. And I'm putting quotes around that will come out that this is a Chinese conspiracy mm. because fentanyl has a link between these places in Mexico and also China. You know, it's another basically it's, it's trying to score a win in this burgeoning Cold War and to go ahead and give us an excuse to go into a place and take out a, a, a narco state. Yeah, all, all very scary stuff, because, again, it just leads to more war, more yeah. hot wars that are not just proxy wars at that point. And that's a, a scary thing. Um, I Is that true? I hadn't necessarily noticed that there was a evidence of like China is the idea that China is 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 trying to poison our the, the, the oil, that's, oil. The, that's the Republican conspiracy theory. Okay. The, the, the idea is that there are components that go into the making of these drugs that come from China, chemicals and such and, 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 and 
parts that come from China that end up in Mexico where they're being manufactured. Of course, and by the way, we haven't mentioned this in the past, but I have a wild, wild feeling, Nick, that this is going to be something that we're going to have to talk about more in the future, which is the what, what's called the yellow peril. And for anyone who doesn't know this, this was the old idea that, you know, uh, whether it was China or Japan, that there were, you know, Asians out there in darkness who were trying to hurt Western democracies, whether it was through subterfuge or through chemicals, poisoning, mind control, whatever it was. This is another instance of that type of idea, that there's something out there that we have to protect ourselves from. And this is probably going to be a, a growing part of this Cold War environment. Well, sure. I mean, add the COVID to that list as well. Where yeah, it, COVID, where, absolutely. You know, they're obsessed, which changes nothing, whether or not you're going to somehow find evidence that it was created in a lab in China. It doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of how we would go about our business now solving the COVID issue. And yet they they need this. They need to have that that the uh, vilification of another uh, you know, race in theory. Uh, it, it's awful. And by the way, it, it, you know, it, we talked about this before and the notion that it doesn't necessarily make sense if you're a drug dealer, why you'd be killing your clients. You want your clients to survive so they can pay you more money to buy more drugs. So it's it, a lot of it is weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I, I haven't been able to put all those things together. But the bottom line is bombing Mexico. Uh, I suppose would be uh, to, to, in an effort to bomb, like I guess fentanyl factories. Is that the idea here? Like it doesn't seem like it would it would work out that well for uh, if that's the goal. It's tough. It's it's not a it's not a working situation. Um, real fast before we bring this episode to a close, we have to talk about uh, something weird that happened this weekend on social media. Um, and, and outside of social media, it came out the Harlan Crow. And again, this is the person who but such good friends. Such good friends with Clarence and Jenny Thomas that he's gifted them millions upon millions of dollars worth of free vacations and gifts and lavishes, including, and you know what we didn't talk about? He paid for a statue of Clarence Thomas's favorite teacher. <laughs> like, oh, that is profoundly weird. Oh, yeah. But it has since come out in the Washingtonian that it's been an open secret, apparently, that at Harlan Crow's residence, um, first of all, has apparently a garden. Of, of statues of dictators. He claims it was to uh, commemorate these people being overthrown, which uh, is strange. But then on the inside of, of his house, uh, apparently wall-to-wall Nazi memorabilia. We're talking about a signed copy of Mein Kampf. We're talking about multiple Hitler paintings, Nazi regalia, Nazi iconography, Nazi napkins. And Nick, one of the weirdest things about this over the weekend, there was no end to conservative and right-wing actors coming out of the woodwork to defend this, to say, hey, I either have that in my home or I would have that if I had the money. And it's weird, Nick, that almost to a person, all these people willing to come out on social media and say this and defend him, it's weird. They're all people that he uh, somehow or another, uh, what's the word, funds, and that he gives money to to their ventures and their ideas. Um, how do you feel about this? You don't, you, don't, you don't have this shit in your home, right? Well, you know, I, I would be surprised if that's all the shit he's got in his house. Like that's I would too, right? But there's probably other stuff in there and somewhere another door that's locked that we don't get to see. But uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the defense was that uh, he's he's trying to in the never again mode of like we want to remember these things so it doesn't happen again. And um, I just feel like that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, like 
as a Jewish person, and certainly never again is a very important phrase for us in terms of the Holocaust, we are not going to be collecting Mein Kampf, signed Mein Kampf, but we're not going to have yeah. paraphernalia around and let certainly let anybody else see that we have it. I mean, that is a real, you know, violation of, of what that is supposed to mean. Um, you know, so, so yes, it's a real, real problem. And there it's, it's even more amazing that you're going to have people, you know, you should probably just sit it out. And if you like the dude and whatever, just sit it out, man, there's no reason to get out there in public and start defending the guy like you are. I, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, um, some people have reached out to me in the past and they've been like, do you have any advice when it comes to social media? And I'm like, yeah, here's my piece of advice. You don't have to post everything. Why in the world do you think this is a good idea? Even if you agree with him, it's it's just stupid to come out and be like, oh, yeah, if I had that type of money. I saw one guy. I don't know if you saw this. I, I wish I knew who it was. He was like, listen, the problem here is that when you have that much money, it's hard to spend. So you just end up getting some weird stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's a great excuse. That's awesome. Because that's what I would be doing if I had that level of money. But what it comes down to at the end of the day, is that I think that these people and Harlan Crow can tell himself whatever he wants about why he has this stuff, right? It's historical value or whatever. But really what it comes down to is even if they want to sit there and say that they hate this stuff, they're attracted to it. There's a, there's a level of power and wealth that you reach where suddenly you start, um, I don't know. You start empathizing with dictators. You start empathizing with totalitarianism and you start like whether you like believe in it or not, or whether or not you want to admit it to yourself, you start becoming attracted to it and, 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 and uh, synonymous with it. This is really screwed up. And I wasn't shocked when I heard it because that's the type of stuff that happens at this level. You know, I don't think that he's necessarily a crypto Nazi, uh, but I have to tell you that there's there's a lot to chew on here. Well, how about this? Because, again, some people want to point out and saying that this guy is not a Nazi because he's got uh, Clarence Thomas, a black man, as one of his really good friends. Oh. And, you know, certainly that's there, there's a lot of holes you could poke in that theory if you oh. wanted to. But let, I, I actually t- uh, tweeted this out. Let, flip it around. Why would a black person have a deep friendship with the guy who's collecting Nazi memorabilia like this? That is another interesting thing that I find, you know, just sort of unanswerable. Um, it, you know, it is really, really problematic, and there are not a lot of reasons. Like, for instance, I have a whole collection of old books uh, about, about basketball. I've got, you know, by, by coaches, by referees, the rule books, fascinating stuff, right? And I'm trying to never forget or commemorate or re, re, uh, get, get into the mindset of what was like in the 40s and the 20s and, the, you know, about, you know, the, that sport. What purpose is is the having napkins that are stamped with the Nazi insignia or or Mein Kampf sign? Like there there there's some nefarious in my mind about having that kind of stuff, and it's not just like uh, voodoo witchcraft, scary. Ooh, I'm going to have like a Ouija board in my office. There's something else. No, they see a power in it. You know, and that that is the thing. I, I think that a lot of these people who and, and you know, I have to imagine that uh, Harlan Crow, if you get him in the right mood, is like, well, I don't think they were all bad. You know, a real Kanye West type situation. And I think 
it is there there is an inherent white supremacy at the heart of it there is uh, a, an inherent uh, totalitarian uh, ideology I, I i'm not qualified to jump into clarence thomas's head you know i just i'm not i can't sit there and tell you about any of that stuff but i can tell you at the heart of a lot of this and i've seen it in halls of power and i've seen it uh basically haunt a lot of this stuff there is an inherent totalitarianism and white supremacy that is lingering around it and 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 it's really really disturbing and i'm glad that people know about it and they 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 have gotten this information but you know it 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 just it reveals more about what power is you know and how it works and who it rewards i think yes but now you're having me trying to think about what what goes on in clarence thomas's head Ooh, can't uh nausea is is starting to seep in here a little bit i i need something uh, to settle my stomach because that is disgusting i do not would not want to be in that head for a second yeah i it would i don't think any of us would want to be Listen, everybody, on that note, we're going to get out of here. We will be back on Friday with the Weekender Edition of the Muckrake Podcast. Go over to patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, Nick, everyone's telling me, why didn't I do this earlier? I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why, I don't know why you make the choices. We can get in some people's heads. We can't get in others. Come and join us. Patreon.com slash Podcast. If you need us before that Weekender, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Saxton. Stay safe out there. 